Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Well, able to take away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. And we're back. Pat and Eddie running the show today as the Ducks fall to the Calgary Flames. Two to one in what was mostly a, a pretty competitive game for Anaheim, Eddie. It wasn't one that they just got outplayed in like we thought was going to happen or could have happened. Yeah, I mean, they've played pretty well against some really good teams over the last few games, right? I mean, Minnesota has been slumping a bit, and that's why they made a trade and are looking to make more trades, but they're still a pretty good team. They're still, I guess you consider a borderline playoff team. And then the Washington Capitals are defending Stanley Cup champions and are looking like they're going to contend again to, to try and go back to back. And the Ducks kind of swept the floor with them. And, uh, you know, th- there's one-off games like that. And, you know, teams after they fire a coach generally get a boost of play and play better. But the Ducks surprised me a bit in this one because the moment I heard Ryan Getzlaff was going to be out, I was already skeptical oh. going it, right, we're already skeptical going into this game, and then you hear Ryan gets left out. Ricardo Kell's back at center, and you're you get a little bit worried. But I'm I'm pleasantly surprised with the way they played, and I think everybody uh, in subscribing to Tank Nation is is pretty happy with the outcome anyway. So, if we're even still part of Tank Nation now, man, I don't know. We'll have to get to that towards the end of the show. As there's some news coming around the personnel in Anaheim for sure. But welcome back, Eddie. It's been a while since yeah. you've been on the show. Yeah, and I'm in like a dungeon right now. <laughs> so I think you have stars on the ceiling in that room, don't you? There's something on the ceiling there. I don't know. I'm in <laughs> I'm in a in the kids' room on the road, and uh, 
yeah, it's uh, there's no light in here, so I'm using my <laughs> phone light. Hey man, to, to light it up. So resources pulling through, pulling through, getting everything together, making sure that you're available. It's, we appreciate it, Eddie. It's it's uh, without you, a lot of this doesn't work. So the fact that you're sitting you in a child's do. room with stars <laughs> on the ceiling and boxes everywhere on the road, and it's almost midnight where you're at. So well, that part I'm used to. <laughs> That's now, true. Right? That's true. Yeah, Dave says, oh, I'm in a closet. Pretty much. Yeah. He looks, yeah, he's, he's Harry Potter tonight, for those watching on YouTube. He's Harry Potter. He got put back in the dungeon under the stairs. Um, So this game, you have Daniel Sprong scratched again with the trade deadline that, coming three up. Straight? I think three it's games. three straight. Plus, he didn't really play much uh, against Vancouver. So, or Boston. I think it was Boston when he was scratched. I'm trying to remember which one he was scratched on. But yeah, he's been scratched for three. And then you have Ryan Miller make it a start. Gets off out with an upper body injury, which I was kind of floored by. I didn't even know he was injured at first. Um, News to me. Did they even say what might have happened? No, they just said he didn't come out for the the warm-ups. And then even Ali Tiford was trying to figure out why. I I don't think anybody got any news that he was going to be out. And and I know he missed, uh, I think it was a week ago now, he missed a practice because of what they said was an upper body injury at that point. But Mm -hmm. then he came back and played later that night anyway. So maybe this is just an extension of that. They've played a lot of games and just kind of wearing there, hoping he gets some sort of rest and is able to be ready to go. Because they had back-to-back, right? So For that give playoff them the best push. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a back-to-back. Give him a rest. Give him a little bit more extra rest for, for the game off tonight and, ha- and maybe have him ready for tomorrow. If he's not ready for, for tomorrow's game, then maybe we start to worry a little bit more that it's a bit more serious. But I, I kind of fully expect him to be ready uh, for Saturday's game. Uh, and before we go any further, cheers to Jimmy, who I'm sure is watching or knows that he hates Coors Light, but I am drinking Coors Light tonight. Uh, tonight's not a craft brew night, unfortunately, in my house. But uh, you got to go with what you got. And I didn't want to go shopping, so I got these left out of the house. Um, a couple more things before we get started on the show. How much longer is it going to take for Troy Terry or Max Jones to score here on this stretch they've been with the Ducks? My God. That <laughs> is so frustrating to watch. Jones was so close. So close a couple of times tonight and just couldn't bury the puck. Yeah, I mean, he's been close pretty much every game i think there's been at least one or two times where we're like oh yeah he probably should have scored there and then it didn't happen he had the the thread pass from troy terry in this game where he had a pretty good chance i remember i think it was probably his first game down i, I don't exactly remember but it was the shift is what it's oh, yeah. referred to now where uh he had that great shift and then almost tucked one in short side so he, he's had pretty much at least one or two chances each game um more noticeable, I think, than Troy Terry. Not not anything against Terry. He had a very good chance. Probably the best chance the Ducks didn't score on in this game where uh, he was alone in the slot and, and Mike Smith ended up making a great block or save. But they look really good, especially since they've been put with Adam Henrique. They've, they've kind of gelled well. And uh, I've been pleasantly surprised. But as has been the problem with the Ducks all year, they just haven't been able to score. No matter what the chances they get, whether it's a goal making a good save or just not getting enough quality chances this line just seems to not be able to put the puck in the back of the net, yet they're still probably the Ducks' most effective line when they're on the ice. Thank God that uh, that the defense has been shored up a bit because without that, this I mean, we'd go back to the same ridiculous scores against the Ducks or shots against, but they've really, really, really tightened up defensively. The goaltending's been good. And quite frankly, I know you're going to get into the game here because you saw a little bit more of it than I did, but um, quite frankly, man, I, I really feel that 
it's it's they feel like they they got to break through at some point because the goaltending's been great, the defense has been much better. It's just that office just for whatever reason hasn't clicked other than the Caps game, right? It just hasn't really spilled out of the ketchup bottle per se. No, it it hasn't. And uh that that was a kind of a one-off what you feel. I mean, even in the Minnesota game where they they scored four in that game and it it didn't really feel like it was a in a big offensive display from the Ducks, right? I mean, Washington kind of was the the one-off that they've had in, in a while here. And it, it's been tough. I mean, the Ducks have had a lot of games like this one and like Boston where they, they either score one or they just can't get any at all. And, and that's been the trend all season. And, and we've seen it all year where, you know, the Ducks will rattle off a couple games in a row where they'll score five or, you know, five against Washington like they did, four against Minnesota. And we're like, oh, maybe they're starting to figure things out. And then you'll get a game like this where – you know, they played well, and they had some quality chances, but they just can't put the puck in the back. And then we see that on, on too regular of an occasion. We saw it against Vancouver where, the, yes, they, they did end up uh, winning that game, but they won one nothing, right? So it's it, it's an issue the Ducks have had all year. Well, let's get to the big plays in this game because there wasn't a whole lot of offense going either way, but it was really decided by two unfortunate plays by by Megna, <laughs> if, you wanna, yeah. if I, I want to reveal the secret <laughs> at the end of the show. But, yeah, just two unfortunate plays by Megna really is what, what caused Anaheim's downfall here. On top of their lack of offense. It's hard to blame Megna when you only score one goal. No. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the really, the first period, there wasn't much that went on. I mean, the, the Ducks were up 2 nothing in shots five minutes in. And usually it's the other way around. Uh, from, from what we've seen this season, the Ducks just not being able to generate chances at all. But it was kind of... I guess what you could say, the, the teams are failing each other out a bit. I know it's cliche to say that, but it, it kind of felt like that early on where there wasn't much going on. Um, we talked about Max Jones getting that chance in the first period and, and coming close to getting his first goal. He's, he's due for one at this point, and then obviously the, the Smith save on Troy Terry. But Ryan Miller, too. I mean, we got to talk about him, especially in this first period, making probably the best save I've seen all year from a Ducks goaltender, Ooh, which is saying something. Which is saying something because John Gibson and Ryan Miller as well made some really good saves this year. But that was a, a great effort from Ryan Miller. It was one of those situations, you know, when you we've talked about this before, when you, a goalie makes a great glove save, but then you look at the shot and say, well, the shooter just put it right in his glove. You, you know, know how many goaltending people hate that saying, by the way? I know. They I, hate it. They're if like Jason was here, he would uh, like, be upset. Look, he might have shot it where my glove was, but that's because I train every single day to be in position to make that save. Like, don't take yeah. that away from me. I was in position to do that. But yeah, yeah, no, me because I hate goalies, I feel the same way. So <laughs> I don't want to take it away from Ryan Miller, but you look at the fact that uh, I think it was Sarnik who had the the entire net, and you get this a lot on cross crease passes where they end up shooting it back across the net. And it, it, it might have gone wide, might have just snuck in on the post, but he, he shot it right into the paddle. And, I mean, this is a bit different than the glove save one because kudos to Ryan Miller for even getting back there and getting a paddle there and, and getting it in position to, to at least get a piece of the puck. So it's a great save from him, but it is one of those ones where if you look at it as a player, if you take an extra second there, you've got a pretty good chance to just put it in the back of the net. But if you, there's, if you there's the something about play. it as a shooter. It, it happens at every level every level of hockey, even at the crappy levels that I've played. It just, when you have an empty net, you it's, it's like something in your brain. You shoot it right in the middle. You're not trying to pick a corner because you're like, you move so quickly just to try to shoot the puck. And I think it happens at every level unless you, you are able to take the time and aim. And even then, sometimes goalies are able to get in the way of that shot. I don't know what it is. But, I mean, if that shot, if he would have flubbed that shot and it goes along the ice, it's in the net. 
right? Oh, yeah, if he, if he sure. fans yeah. on that, it's in the net. <laughs> yeah, if he if he fans on it, if he takes a little more time, it's it's in the back of the net for sure. Jeez, I'm in like a dungeon here. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah, seriously, if, if he if a little bit more time, I don't want to take any credit away from Ryan Miller, but. But yeah, that that was uh, one that Sarnik's going to want back. And the Ducks get a bit lucky, but it, the first period was essentially not much going on. Just the goaltenders making some pretty good saves. And surprisingly enough, it, it's uh, Mike Smith that's making those saves because we've been fairly critical of Mike Smith in the past. Where oh, uh, whoa, whoa. Is Jason here? Because Jason loves <laughs> that's that what guy. I'm saying. Loves know, that guy. You and me have been critical of Mike Smith in the past, uh, but Jason is is a big Mike Mike Smith. Uh, he loves Mike Smith, so kind of glad that he's not on this one and calling us out here. But um, the first goal of the game, like you said, calling out Jacob Magna a little bit, not his fault. No, it goes off his leg, man. That sucks. Yeah. It's a, a point shot from TJ Brody that deflects in off his leg and, and past Ryan Miller. It's a tough one. You really can't blame the guy for it. He's not even making a bad play. He just turns around and ends up hitting him in the leg and going in the back of the net. So it's, it's a tough one for the Ducks, too, because Ryan Miller stand on his head, and the Ducks weren't really doing anything wrong up until that point anyway. No, I mean, it's just kind of an unfortunate play for Magna in front of the net, and I guess the only thing you could say is a goaltender, or if, let, me, let me play the part of Jason, is he would have had his defenseman, you know, you don't block shots in front of me, you just get out of the way from these long point shots. Let me see the shot, and, you know, at that point... Maybe he makes a save, but like you said, it was kind of like he turned around, it goes off his leg, and it just kind of goes in the net. Not much you can do on that play. No, not uh, not much at all, really. And and even the the, the second goal, if you this is this is why I wish Jason was on the show because Mike Smith does what Mike Smith normally does. He's wandering behind the net, and a great play from Carter Rowney to pressure him and dig it free. And uh, he sets up for Derek Grant, who just has a wide open net and just blasts with <laughs> one timer. Uh, right into the net, and, and it ends up being the Calgary, I think, defenseman who ends up trying to make the save because Mike Smith is nowhere to be found. And th- this is prototypical of Mike Smith over his career. Oh, where yeah. he's, a, he's a great puck handler, but more often than not, he's going to make at least one or two of those plays a game where he's just not paying attention or he comes out when he shouldn't have. He probably had three or four of them in this game where he did that. And obviously this one ends up costing a goal, but, you know, not the the play you want the Ducks to score on. You know, how many times this year do we say they end up getting one or two goals in the game and it's not really at any uh, any fault of their own. It's it's just the uh, the other team making a mistake that leads to a goal, and that's the case in this one. But Derek Grant will take it. And Carter Rowney, uh, great effort to forecheck. He, he's been doing that all year anyway. And that's something we've seen a lot from Mannheim lately. I mean, not a lot has changed offensively, except for, you know, you might want to point out the nine goals they scored between the Caps and the Wild. But, I mean, you could say what you want about those two games. The goals are the goals, and we you know, we love them. But, I mean, those guys work so hard lately. They're in on the forecheck hard, and that, that line is great. I think Rowney goes in deep and tries to dig pucks out. Winning the puck battles is good, and it's really easy to pick out who's going to be behind the net because it's always Mike Smith, whatever the puck's back then. He tries to go out yeah. and play on every dumping. And it's like if you pressure that guy enough, he's going to cough it up. So it was a great, a great move there, I think, by Roundy to go in there and dig that puck out because you know eventually, if you do it enough times, Smith's going to cough it up. So good work on him. 
Yeah, I mean, right after that too. Mike Smith is a guy generally that he doesn't get phased too often. You know, he he kind of feels like he knows he's gonna make some mistakes like that, and and those things. I think on any other goalie, if you make a mistake like that, sometimes it gets to you, right? And but Mike Smith comes right back after this and makes uh, one of his best saves of the game on, on Devin Shore, wide open on the back post for a cross crease pass. Probably would have been better if he's right-handed at that point. It would have yeah. been able to get more on the shot. So he just kind of has to shovel it onto the net. But a great lateral move by Mike Smith to come across the, the crease to make that save. And then Ryan Miller, again, follows that up right after that, making two saves of his own. So this this was a surprising goaltending duel. You think early back uh, when John Gibson was healthy and Riddich was playing the way that he's been playing this year, you would have expected a, a goaltending duel between John Gibson and Riddich instead of Ryan Miller and Mike Smith and what it turned out to be. Hey, and Miller's been great, man. No problems with yeah. Miller at all. We got a lot to talk about with him at the end of the show. So I'm happy Miller's back. It's good to see him back in net. It probably means we're going to see Boyle tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I would think so. I, I mean, Chad Jobs is still in the IR. John Gibson's still in the IR. So Kevin Boyle's likely the, the guy that's going to go. And I'm not worried about that at all either. I mean, he's been... I, I don't want to say brilliant. He's been better than expected since coming up and playing. Obviously, the the 35 save shutout debut, and then even the the next game after that, he played pretty good in his second start. Oh, and yeah. what are you going to do against anyway. Boston, man? Those are those yeah. were tough goals. Was, I, I think almost any goaltender would have been caught like that and given those up. That's a tough one for Boyle. That Boston game. Yeah. Even Boston without Pasternak, you've still got to deal with Bergeron and Marchand and the rest of the guys that they have. So it, it was a tough one, and he played good. So I'm, I'm fully confident with him going into tomorrow's game against the Edmonton Oilers, who are going to be without Connor McDavid anyway. <laughs> or as Jason wrote on Twitter today and blew it up, the entire, the entire team was team. suspended. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It, it's like the the Sens right now. They're missing 41% of their offense because Duchesne's gone and Mark Stone oh, the right. I wonder... I wonder how much uh, of the Oilers offense percentage-wise Connor McDavid's been a part of. I'd I would say, say 70%. Be, oh, that, I was going to say it's got to be north of at least 30%, but... I'd say 70 or 80%. He scores all the points. Pretty much. I mean, he, it's him <laughs> It's him and dry settle essentially, that you see at least on every play. Or, or if they score a couple goals, one of them is going to be involved in it. Uh, going into the third, I guess really only two things of note. It was a lackluster third period. The Ducks put up a fight, but wasn't much going the flames are so good in the third period this year where even if they're not leading they come in i think they give up the fewest goals of any team in the third period and they're near the top when it comes to goals four so they're just a team who closes out really well uh but early on perry gets taken down on a breakaway i don't know if you ended up going uh, back and i think this, i but... think he dove maybe a little when he got that little stick tap because it wasn't oh, yeah, much sure for sure, but I mean, I don't, I don't know at this point. You know, he was pretty much on as clear a breakaway as you can get. Uh, not the fastest guy, so he doesn't get caught from behind. But you get taken down, dived or not, if it's getting called a penalty at that point, that probably should have been a penalty shot if they're going to call it a power play or call it a penalty to give you a power play. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but I think they also factored in that it was they factored in it was Corey Perry, and they're like, well, we got to at least call something. But I don't really think that they were never going to give Perry a penalty shot. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, but this is the thing we've seen not just this year, but last year and a few years now, where this that play is so inconsistent game by game, 
what's going to be called a penalty shot and what's not. I've, I've seen so many things that look very similar to that, get called a penalty shot, and then some of them, like tonight, they don't get called a penalty shot. I've seen plays where a guy just seems side-by-side side with a guy, gets slashed in the hands, that's a penalty shot. Uh, uh, it's so subjective. I think it's one of the most subjective things you can call because there's going to be no review for it, right? And as a ref, I, I think more often than not, you'd rather just give the penalty rather than the penalty shot less dramatic you're not putting yourself right up to the forefront of, of how the game's going to go if you give the penalty uh, most people will agree with it that it was a penalty and so you're not you're not going to be in the headlines if this game ends because of that penalty but if it ends because of a penalty shot that's your decision and then there'll be people on either side of the debate saying oh that should have been a penalty shot that shouldn't and I think so so what if the way you got rid thing. of that, just real quick, we could probably go down a rabbit hole with this one, but what if the way to get rid of that would be when there's a penalty called, no matter what the penalty is, if it's a two-minute, the team that would get the power play normally gets to decide if it's a penalty shot or a power play? No, oh, I, I don't think so. I think most teams would probably choose a penalty shot. Really? Really? I would think so. Unless you're, unless you're a team who has an, an elite power play. And you know you have a better chance of scoring, but I think if you get to choose which guy you want on the penalty shot, or if it, if it's guy getting taken down, maybe it depends. But I don't think as a team you're going to be like, look, let's say Carter Rowney gets taken down on a breakaway. Are you really going to, you know, demoralize Carter Rowney by saying, hey man, we uh, we don't really have any faith in you to make this penalty shot, so we're just going to take the power play? Or if it was Ricardo Raquel, you'd be like, oh, we'll give it to him because you know he's. More more likely than Carter Rowney to score on the penalty shot. I, I don't I don't think that'd be an option. Uh, it should be the ref's decision. I honestly. think the team should just rule side. You want to add scoring to the league? Let the let the teams pick penalty shot every time. <laughs> or yeah, maybe yeah, no. They maybe they won't score. Maybe the goalies are just so good. We never know. No, I, I think most teams will take penalty shot every time, especially if they get to pick whoever they want to take the penalty shot. Right. So. <laughs> Uh, but as for the last thing that happened in the third period, it obviously ends up being the game-winning goal for the Calgary Flames. Uh, and, uh, yeah, poor Vegna. Uh, I wrote in here, bad pinch by Brandon Montour. Uh, but I don't know if it was a bad pinch. Like, he makes a move to get around a guy, he gets a clean zone en- entry, and just kind of mishandles the puck and loses it and gets unlucky that it lands right to a Flames player who makes a stretch pass up for a two-on-one. I mean, it, it's not maybe the smartest decision, but I don't think it was a bad pinch because he does get his own entry. No, but the bad play was the play prior to that where Del Zotto just lets the Flames, I forgot what player, just walk in alone on Miller and Miller's force to make a really good save. And then the play goes back the other way, and the Ducks turn it over, and then it's a two-on-one, and that's where the other goal goes in. But what is Megna supposed to do? He stops the pass. He played yeah. the two-on-one, stopped the pass. It's just really unfortunate. It goes off his skate and goes back to a Flames player who's able to score the goal. I mean, what are you going to do at that point? It's just it's a bummer that it was him both times, right? Yeah, and, and it's one of those those games where you know he'll be on the negative side when you look at these two goals, and there will be some people who say, you know, why is he in the lineup over who you know Josh Maher was down in the minors or whoever Andy Valensky's been scratched, you know throw any name that you could put in there at this point Jakob Larson right so but it, this is one of those games where I don't think they were really his mistakes because you know no. it going in off your foot there's not much you can do about that and he really didn't do anything wrong to lead to the two-on-one in the first place it was Del Zotto and Montour who are making a couple mistakes here that leads to him just getting put in that position where he has to defend the two-on-one and like you said he actually mm-hmm. does end up deflecting the pass it's just unfortunate it goes right to Mangiapane 
who Oh, that's how you say his name? That's why I said Flames player. I had no idea how to say his name. I'm going off the broadcast. (laughs) I I had no idea how to say it either. I looked at that and I was like, uh Flames player scores the second goal. (laughs) I'm just going off what uh what Ollers and Hayward were saying, so I hope they I would assume they know what they're talking about. Well you're more likely to be French than me because you're from Canada, so I'm I'm sure that's how you pronounce it correctly. Yeah, we'll we'll go with that. But uh, yeah, he he just has a as easy as goal as it gets at that point too, because Miller's even confused with it too. Miller thinks the pass is going to go across, and he's making a move to that side, and then right. Flames players just able to throw it right into the empty net. But unfortunately, Ducks lose two to one. I, I mean, I guess I say unfortunately, but if you're uh, you, you wanted to tank and lose for Hughes, then. This is probably a win for you because not oh, only did you get man. to watch an exciting game, right? You get to, you know, it was a better game than losing four nothing. You get to watch an exciting game. Ducks still lose in regulation, so they don't pick up points. And if you're wanting to finish with the top five pick, this was probably the best outcome you could get in an exciting game where the Ducks still lose and don't pick up any points. I mean, it was a fun game. It's I'm torn, man. I hate watching the Ducks lose. It sucks. It really does. It sucks to know that I was going to come, like, during that losing stretch when it just wouldn't end, it got to a point where it was silly. Like, after, like, 10 losses, uh, or maybe even 8 losses at that point, I remember coming in and watching the game, and I'm like, I'm literally going to watch this game, be upset, take notes, have to write about this game, have to go do a post-game show about this game, <laughs> and, then, and then have to come back and have Groundhog Day happen in two days. Because they're playing another team, and Randy Carlisle's still the freaking coach. So, like, going through that was very frustrating. And then now that they're playing much better hockey, uh, for the most part, um, I don't care what team it's against at this point, it's just more exciting to watch these games. And they're playing better, and they're not just looking lazy. But at this, And then the flip side, like you just brought up, we wanted the tank. And now you're at that point where they're going to be middling. They're yeah. not quite going to get to the bottom of the standings to guarantee themselves a top five pick, but they're not going to be good enough to go to the playoffs and do damage. If they get to the playoffs, that might literally be the worst thing for this franchise, besides oh, yeah. the fact that they designed Jacob Silverberg. See, the, the the funny thing is, is you get the Ducks were so bad, right? That I think for the first time in a while, everybody bought in to the direction that this team is going and even just casual fans. And I guess I want to say that there's nothing wrong with being a casual fan as this team, but you get everybody, every section of ducks fan bought into tanking and being bad because they were losing because they lost 19 of 21 games because Randy Carlisle was still the coach. Then they fire uh, Randy Carlisle. Bob Murray steps in circus continues, but a little bit of hope that the ducks are just going to at least play someone better because Randy Carlisle is not there. Not because of any, Thing that Bob Murray's doing just because Randy Carlisle isn't there and things could only go up from there and the teams always get a boost when they fire the coach just because the players get a little bit of a, a momentum boost and things are just looking in a different direction a new voice whatever you want to call it um, and then the Ducks win a couple games pretty good against some very good teams against Minnesota and Washington and then you got a bunch of people who turn the ship and say oh they can make the playoffs what hey, if they and they the played They're well only... against Boston and Boston's a good they team did. They, they've played well the last four or five games. They haven't really played that bad. But 
you know, now you got the fact that the Ducks have always been close to a playoff spot. Even when they were last in the Western Conference, they were still only, I think, six or seven points out of the playoffs. But nobody was talking about it. But now you win a couple games against some good teams. You move up the standings because how close it is in the bottom. You move two spots up uh, in the Pacific Division because of Edmonton and, and L.A. losing games. And now you're, I think, uh, leading into this game, they're like four or five points out of a playoff spot. Let's see. And, now people start to uh, – I think there's seven points now, but you had four or five before tonight out of a playoff spot, and you got people looking at that now and paying more attention to it because the Ducks are playing well and Randy Carlisle is not there. And now you get people jumping ship saying, well, what if we just make the playoffs? And then the people who come out and say, if you get in, you have a chance. You know, those people, you know those people. You say, if you only have to get in, then you have a chance to win, which I guess is technically true. But uh, now I think Ducks fans are split. You've got people who want to make the playoffs, and you've got people who want to tank. Okay, so let's get into this right now. Since we're in the post-game, post-game, right? We're in the the after-after show. Yeah. We could talk about this part here. So let me explain to everybody my position. I got in a a very nice debate with a couple of Ducks fans um, the other day on Twitter about this. And the way I feel about this is... It's not that I enjoy watching the team lose. It's not that I, I want the Ducks to trade Jacob Silverberg because I don't like Jacob Silverberg. It's the Ducks have been really good for the past better part of a decade. They've been really good winning, yeah. winning division banners. And I get we trash other teams for celebrating that. But look, it takes a lot to grind through an 82-game season to get that. The teams, the teams have had great success. Two Western uh, Conference Finals. Right, I mean, they've gotten to the point where they could just couldn't get over the hump and get to the Stanley Cup, but they played well. Now you're starting to see decline set in in their top players, um, and by finishing so high all the time, they don't get good picks to replenish with elite level talent. Every once in a while, though, I'll I'll speed this up. I won't talk forever. Sorry, but th- they get an Andre Kasha late in a round, right? Yeah. And then now they got guys like Maxime Comtois and Troy Terry and Max Jones who are fine players. They're good players. And I'm excited to see what they can bring to the squad. But I just don't feel, and I hope I'm wrong, but I don't feel like they are that next level talent you need to be on a wing to score 40 to 50 goals, right? Or a guy to get 60 assists. You yeah. need to have those players to replace guys like Ryan Getzloff and replace guys like Corey Perry. Uh, and I'm not trying to take anything away from those guys. I like these players that are coming up. But by middling, and what I mean by middling, is getting into the playoffs and crap in the bed and getting swept or losing in the first round or losing in the second round. Or even finishing, like, decent throughout the rest of the season and getting, you know, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th overall pick and not uh, not getting in that top five and, and, you know, not being able to get a guaranteed elite player. I think you need, this year, I think you need to at least get, you know, top five maybe top six or seven to get an elite forward this year and and the ducks stumbled their way into possibly the best time in franchise history to be bad Mm -hmm. because they've got a lot of young players like you said that are coming up that they've drafted well late in the in the first and in the second round who are going to be good second and third line players it's not not easy to do that consistently no they have a great core in the middle of the lineup you just and, and need those upper echelon guys. I the just problem, feel like you need them. The problem, I think, is fans get hope. Fans get hope after the Ducks were so bad that they start playing well and are winning games and are looking better than – and, you know, it's easy to look better than they have looked. And, hey, man, Eddie, Carlisle. to be fair, you got to give some kudos out to the people who are season ticket holders. They pay yeah. all this money. They don't For want sure. the team to tank. They already prepaid the whole year. 
the whole year they had to give up money for this no. team to be good. And then why would they want to sit at a game and watch them lose? Like, I get I, it. Yeah. I get no, it. No, I get it. And I get and, and people who – there's a lot – and again, it all depends on your opinion of prospects. I'm not coming out here saying that I'm an expert and I know for sure Sam Steele is going to only be a second-line center at best. He could very well come up and, and prove everybody wrong and be a first-line center and be a 60-, 70-point guy in this league. I think he has that potential on the very, very top end of his ceiling if everything went well for the guy. Same goes for Maxim Comtois. He could be a 30-40 goal scorer in this league if everything went right for this guy, if, if all the issues we had with him were non-existent and everything he's done well to this point just continue to get better. There's there's slim chances that that can happen, but when you look at it realistically and, and and take the average on how these guys are going to turn out, the Ducks have a lot of good second and third line talent with Sam Steele and Isaac Lindstrom, Max Jones, Maxim Comtois, Troy Terry. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how you fill out a, a bottom part of the roster. But you get the small sample size you've had with Maxim Comtois, the seven points in ten games, and how good he looked at. Then you get him at this point since returning to the QMJHL. Get CHL Player of the Week last week. Uh, he's uh, he had like oh, sixteen points yeah. in four games, something he's, stupid like that. He's, he's just producing right now. He's producing at two points per game. So he's got thirty-two points in sixteen games since getting <laughs> sent back down to the QMJHL. I mean, nobody is producing at a higher rate like that at that rate over the entire season down there. So he's just killing it, and there's right to have hype over that i mean there was hype when sam Steele was doing that in the whl two seasons ago right so there's there's no nothing wrong with that but no. there's nothing guaranteed that that's going to translate and the thing with getting that top pick is you're getting a jack Hughes, you're getting a capo a guy who more likely than not will be a first line talent guaranteed that the ducks will be able to throw into that system and trading Jakob silverberg like you said get you another first round pick when you look at how this quickly turned from what was a buyer's market into a seller's market all of a sudden with what you see yeah. that teams are getting for some of these players out there and you get another late first round pick you maybe replenish on the blue line and, and add a young defender and that gives you the ability to trade Cam Fowler or Josh Manson or whoever in the offseason and, and accelerate this retool in this season so, would be perfect for I mean but Eddie let's let's address a fact here so we just talked about how much we like our prospects in the in the pool for Anaheim and and how much we we appreciate the development that the, that the team has done. You look at the defense core that's come up through this development system; they're great defenders. You look at some of these wingers coming up now; we're excited about seeing them. Jones and Terry, honestly, has been the best line on this team that hasn't scored uh, minus Henrique in the past four games since Murray took over and they came up. I mean, they were the best line again tonight, statistically. They only allowed, I think, one or two shots on goal when they had eight. They just couldn't yeah. buy a goal against Smith. So there is hope. And this is not all negativity. But I really feel like people are just kind of taking for granted just how good Ryan Getzloff and Corey Perry were in their prime. You don't yeah. just get these guys uh, that are that are just going to be putting up 90, 100 points, winning you. Uh, winning you a uh, you know a hard trophy, carrying you in the playoffs in the second round against the Edmonton Oilers. And you don't win. You don't <laughs> win without those guys. You, you just the, don't. You look at the teams who have won the cup recently. You look at the Pittsburgh Penguins having a Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, and having a Chris Letang on defense. You look at the LA Kings having Anza Kopitar. Like how much Dowdy. would Ryan Getzloff be talked about if you played in Canada? Let's be real. No, about it'd it. be it'd be insane. Yeah, he's, he's a point per game so guy, good. one of the best passers in the league. It, Everyone but, talks about Joe Thornton being a shoe in for the Hall of Fame. No one's talking about Ryan Getzloff being that guy, but Getzloff has just as much 
Well, once uh, I think once Ketslav gets to the age that that Joe Thornton is, and is is getting up higher in the the point rankings like Joe Thornton is, then I think he'll get a bit more talk. But when you haven't passed a thousand games, a thousand points yet, which he'll do very soon, probably as early as next season, then I think you're going to get more talk around Ryan Getzlaff. I mean, it, that will come with time. But, but yeah, I'm just I think, saying, like guys like this don't just come out of nowhere. Like you, yeah, and I think that's recency. You look, you look at how they're producing right now, and you say, oh well. If Sam Steele in his prime or Maxim Comtois in his prime could produce what Corey Perry and, and Ryan Getzloff are doing right now, yeah, they probably could because the way Corey Perry's playing right now is like a 30, 40, 50 point guy. And the way Ryan Getzloff's playing this season because he's had a down year is like a 40, 50 point guy. So for sure, Sam Steele in, in his prime hopefully could be a 40, 50 point guy. And hopefully Maxim Comtois could be a 20, 30 goal guy. But you're looking at, like you said, an 80, 90 point guy of Getzloff in his prime and a, just a dominant center and, and a, a 40, 50 goal scorer on the wing at Corey Perry when he was playing at the highest level. I don't think any of the guys the Ducks have in their system are going to be that guy or at least are, are anywhere close to a sure thing that you want to take that chance and miss out on getting a top five it's, pick. It's sure. way too hard to replace a Ryan Getzloff just like that. He's such a dominant physical center that can just take over a game and he was even more so in his prime and yet he still does it in his 30s let's get to the point here then where we talk about Jacob Silverberg and, and what this deal means if it's true I hate to say if it's true because the Ducks haven't announced it yet but let's just be honest yeah. it's gonna happen it was in the athletic you know a friend of the show Cooper came out and talked about it in the article with Eric Stevens how does this deal look anyone anyway, explain it to everybody yeah, so, I mean, they came out and pretty much said that they got full confirmation that this deal is in place, so yep. I fully expect it to happen. Obviously, anything can change, but when you got these two guys coming out who are pretty much the most credible sources you could get when it comes to Ducks News saying this, that you, you kind of have to believe it at this point. But they said that Silverberg has signed a five-year extension. And in the article, I don't think they even said the value, but then Bob McKenzie came out and pretty much summed up the value at 5.25. <laughs> Uncle Bob, Uncle Bob yeah. comes out. So everybody's been kind of putting putting their foot in on, on this Silverberg contract, which makes you believe that it is likely all but signed at this point. So five years at 5.25, which isn't that bad. I mean, it, it's the lower end of what we thought was going to be between five and six, which it turned out to be. And 5.25 for five years for Silverberg actually isn't that bad for what you're getting from him. You know, a potential 20-goal scorer each year, 40 to 50 points, one of the better defensive forwards in the league that's probably what this guy deserves and that's probably what he's worth the problem is is where the ducks are at this point where they don't really need to have this guy around and i know there's a lot of difference in opinion from a lot of people there's a difference opinion on this podcast between us and jason believing when this team's going to be competitive again if you think they can be competitive as early as next year the year after then this signing makes sense because silverberg will be a, a valuable piece to this team at 29 and 30 and going into hopefully a long playoff run. But if you're at the same point as I think you and me are, you don't think this team is going to be competitive for at least two, three, or four more seasons waiting for these young guys to come up and hopefully getting a top five pick either this year or next year and getting those elite forward prospects. Then having Jakob Silverberg at 32 or 33 at this contract with a no-trade clause is is just not worth it. I mean, well, now it, he's taking up a roster spot too. Here's the reason. So it's not that I don't like Jacob Silverberg, and I've said that before. It has everything to do with the pieces around Jacob Silverberg that caused the problem for his contract. So you have Adam Henrique, who makes $5 million plus. You have Ryan Kessler, who makes almost $7 million. 
You have Perry and Getzloff who make over eight million. Okay, they're all. I mean, Henrique I think is the same age as Silverberg. He's like twenty eight or twenty nine. Yeah. So Henrique is a 40, 50 point guy playing basically second C, which is great. Kessler's playing fourth C. He's making six point eight million. Getzloff making eight plus. Perry making nine plus. Now you add another piece that would be great if you didn't have these aging veterans who aren't producing anymore. So it's bad asset management. You bring in another long-term contract to a player who's uh, towards the end of his prime with other players who are making significant amounts of money, just like him, but more, yeah. at a further end of their prime. They're at the point in Silverberg's contract where he would be at the end of his. They're still they're at that point, but they still have three more years left. It's just yeah. bad asset management. You're literally clogging the lanes for young guys to come up and play because they can't move those other contracts. Yet you sign another guy and give him a ten team no no trade clause. Yeah, I see. The thing is, I don't have any issue uh, with the money or the term or, no. or with this affecting the Ducks signing other players. I don't think this is going to affect them signing at least players they already have on their roster. You look at they're the at the that, cap you know, Brandon... ceiling. They can't even announce yeah, yeah. the damn signing. Well, they're going to, you know, there's going to be guys who come off the books that are going to allow them to re-sign Brandon Montour in two years when his contract comes up. There's going to be significant salary coming off the books before Ricard Raquel has to sign it. Right, Eddie, but, th- but this is the reason why they're not going to be competitive quickly. No, no, exactly. There's that, no but money. What I'm, I'm saying, like, th- I'm trying to say, like, the, the issue, I don't have the issue with the term, with it affecting the Ducks re-signing players. The problem is uh, it, it's a signing you make if you think you're going to be competitive. But... I don't think the Ducks are going to be competitive, and I think a lot of people feel that way. Where this contract is going to really make sense, it, it, if it's only going to pay off in the last one or two years of this deal, and I don't think Silverberg is going to be the same player at that point. Where at 32, 33, he's going to be as effective as he is now, and what you could have done either with that cap space or specifically with the assets that you would have got for Jakob Silverberg, because now basically the the two longest forward contracts the Ducks have on the books are Adam Henrique and Jakob Silverberg. For the, uh, because Silverberg's contract obviously kicks in at next year, and so does Adam Henrique's extension. They both kick in next year at over $5 million. Combined together, they're $11 million on the table between those two players for five more seasons. And it's insane. We, we argued that they probably should trade both of them because they're not at the point right now where it makes sense to have these two guys a part of your team when you're not going to be competitive. If the Ducks were making playoff push, Adam Henrique and, and Jakob Silverberg, I would be more than happy with those acquisitions at yep. those five-year terms. The Ducks had another five years on this window to make a push for the Stanley Cup. Uh, Adam Henrique is a, a two or three C, is a, is a perfect addition to a cup contending team, and Jakob Silverberg is a second or third line winger. I, I agree the exact same with that. He, he's a, a valuable piece to a cup contending team. The problem is the Ducks aren't and shouldn't be trying to be a cup, a cup contending team for at least three or four more seasons. And that's if they play their cards right. And at that point, you're talking about a defense core that's going to be at that age, right? Yeah. So this is a rebuilding process. They really need to play their cards carefully. Bob Murray has a lot of work cut out for him. And so, do his, so does his predecessor. Whoever that is next is going to have their work cut out for him. That's they the really thing, because it, it, is a, it is a retool, but it's not... It, it retool is almost essentially worse if you mess it up than a rebuild, because in a retool you have to do everything right and you can't make these mistakes because you don't have as much time as a full rebuild. 
on a retool like the Ducks have, you've got some defensemen who are, you know, 24, 25, a couple of guys who are 27, like uh, Josh Manson and Cam Fowler. You've got a goaltender who's 25. If you mess up five years of this retool and extend it because of what you've done with Adam Henrique and Jakob Silverberg, you get to the end of this where you didn't do anything with it and uh, you've, you've missed the prime of, of your defense core and of, of your franchise goaltender where they're now getting into their early 30s. And if you missed the, the boat, didn't get a franchise forward in, your your forward group just isn't that great because you missed that, you might get to the point where you wasted a great goaltender and a very good defense core and you've got to go into full rebuild mode. I mean, that's the problem with the retool is you've got to do everything right. And I think this was the first step for the Ducks in, in doing everything wrong and trying to get Silverberg locked down, well, which looks for five more years. Yeah, if you trade, if they traded Adam Henrique and traded, which they still can on Monday, I get it, yeah. to make room. And let's say they never signed Jacob Silverberg to this contract and they trade him. You effectively move $10 million off this roster. You have other players falling off this roster at the end of the season. I can handle a Ryan Kessler fourth line position because he's effective there. Yeah. And at the $6.8 million cost, not really a big deal. Everyone always kind of has a contract like that for a veteran guy. And then you look at a team like, um, well, that's actually a bad example. I won't even say it. But I was going to say the Blackhawks, but Patrick Kate's killing it right now. Uh, Ryan Getzloff and Corey Perry, the aged mm-hmm. veterans uh, who were still able to play at a high level. Corey, play, Corey Perry has played very well in his return. Got a hand to sure. that guy. He's killing yeah. it right now. He's just not burying the puck at a high rate. But he's absolutely killing it in a small sample size. Um, I don't mind those contracts. It's when you add these middle contracts that create the problem because you have the ability to get younger assets to replace these players on these te- on this team, and they're not doing it. And that's where it kind of falls apart for me. Yeah, I mean, in a buyer's market where there would have, you know, the, the price on Silverberg would have been the highest it would have ever been, you would have likely got at least a first round pick and a prospect when you look at what uh, the Ottawa Senators got for Matt Duchesne. And Matt Duchesne is obviously a better player and he's at a prime position at center, but, you know, they got potentially two first round picks if he resigns a, a very good prospect, probably Columbus's second best prospect that they have, and another guy in their top 10 in their prospect system. All for Matt Duchesne. You know, you take off a couple things, you probably get a first-round pick and a prospect for Yakov Silverberg, which would have been great for the Ducks. Yeah, it for a, even been... a bad team guy too. I mean, Duchesne's yeah. been talked about as being a bad locker room guy. So it, yeah, and it gives you a, a first-round pick and in a pretty deep draft on the top end. It gives you a chance, like I said, to maybe get a young defenseman or another young forward because of how successful they've been in the late first round and getting them into the system. You get another prospect who can either help San Diego or jump into your team hopefully in the future and then the same you probably could have got around for adam henrique it would have been a little bit difficult i think to move his contract but there could have things there could have been things that you could have worked out and i'm sure there would have been a team who would have been interested in adam henrique especially with matt duchene off the market and, and it looks like artemi panarin also not going anywhere you know adam no. henrique and silverberg jump up being some of the best options you can get behind mark stone and wayne simmons you know, the Ducks were in prime position to move some of these bad contracts and these, these valuable players at, at the, the, you know, the late 20s. That doesn't help them right now and get some assets. And they don't look like they're going to do that. They've kind of handcuffed them. It doesn't look like, honestly, they're going to make any big moves or any moves at all. At the yeah, deadline. I heard most of it's going to happen in the offseason from all the reporting I've heard. That, that's what it seems like. And, and I, I, you know, I understand. That makes sense. I mean, at this point, you're probably going to get the best offers for Cam Fowler and Josh Manson and whoever it may be that you trade, Adam Henrique. 
um, at the draft when teams are, are a little bit better positioned to know what they're going to look like for next year and know what the free agent market's going to look like and possibly make trades at that point. So I, I fully agree with that, but you had the potential to move a guy like Jakob Silfberg and get some assets heading into the trade deadline and at least have something for him. But, you know, if, if this doesn't signal a buyout for either Ryan Kessler, or I mean, I guess only Ryan Kessler is the only significant buyout that would save you some cap and make sense at this point. If signing Silverberg doesn't lead to a Kessler buyout, this uh, beginning part of the Ducks offseason, then I'm including Yak signing Yak and Silverberg in their offseason plans, has been just a disaster for the Ducks. Oh, so and far. that'll be pricey. That's a $2 million hit. So they bring they bring on Jacob Silverberg. Don't buy out Ryan Kessler, which I almost guarantee you they won't. Because they're not going to yeah. pay him $2 million a year for six years and not let him play. Um, let's look ahead here. Ryan Miller's been rumored to go to the Sharks in a trade to try to win a cup. And then to come back to Anaheim in the summer and re-sign because he likes it here. And it's closer to L.A. with his family situation with his wife being an actress. I remember I mentioned that. Why not trade him and then have him come back? What do you think about that? That would, again, just like trading Adam Silverberg, that would be the smart decision. That would be the best scenario outcome for the Ducks is trading uh, Ryan Miller. The proposed uh, return would be like a third-round pick, which one might as well. I mean, he's a 38-year-old goaltender who's playing really well. This last game and the game before that are only helping his trade value at this point for a team who's in desperate need of a goaltender like the San Jose Sharks. And the only way you don't make that trade with San Jose is if you think that you're going to get in the playoffs and have to compete against them, right? And that would be the only reason I see the Ducks not moving Ryan Miller because there there will be not a ton of teams interested in him, but there will be enough, I think two or three, maybe four, who will be interested in, in bringing in Ryan Miller um, because their teams have been struggling in net. You know, Maybe Carolina would be a team that would be interested in trying to make a playoff push. I could see Columbus because I don't know how sold they are on Bobrovsky and Corpusal bringing in Ryan Miller as a potential backup behind Bobrovsky. And, and like we already mentioned, San Jose – because of how bad Martin Jones and Aaron oh, Dell has been, been for them this brutal. year. So just brutal. having a guy like Ryan Miller there could be really helpful to, to lean on, especially the way he's played on a, a pretty bad Anaheim Ducks team. So I, I would think that would be the best option, but because I think it's the best option, I just think the Ducks don't do it. I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> to see them go through the entire trade deadline and not make any significant moves, whether it be selling or bringing anybody oh, in. Don't say that. I, well, I have to. Me and Jason have to sit there for three hours and, and live stream on Monday, and and uh, oh, I'm so been, glad I have to work. <laughs> it's been every trade deadline um, that the Ducks just haven't done anything. And uh, Z Vice brings up in a chat that the Sharks rumor was shot done, shot down by reputable sources. Yeah, we we saw that, but just bringing up the idea of potentially Ryan Miller being moved, and, and San Jose does make sense as a destination that he would go to, but. I just, I don't know. I just can't see the Ducks doing anything at this point because Silverberg was the only tradable asset you had. And then with everything making sense at the draft more so than at the deadline, unless the Ducks get an offer they can't refuse, I can see them just making small little moves, like maybe moving on from Daniel Sprong because he's been scratched for three games and the Ducks walking down Jakob Silverberg leaves him really no space to be a duck next year and he still does have another year on his contract so maybe you move him now and just get something for him but it's not going to be a lot i think they're gonna trade daniel sprong for pontus aberg i think that's gonna be the trade God. 
whatever trade it is, whatever trade it ends up being, Daniel Sprong for whoever, you know it's going to be a one-for-one hockey trade for a guy who is either not performing as well with his team or is an AHL guy. That That's the type of trade we're going to get. And I think that's going to be one of the trades we see on trade deadline is Daniel Sprong getting moved out. Uh, maybe Brian Gibbons, but I, I don't know. I mean, you would have thought so uh, probably a week ago when he was the guy getting healthy scratch and Daniel Sprong was playing. But now Gibbons is the guy who draws back into the lineup over Daniel Sprong. So maybe maybe we see that happen. But I, I just can't see you know Adam Henrique or Josh Manson, Brandon Mount, or Cam Fowler getting traded, even though it seems like for the first time in a long time, Brian Murray, or sorry, Bob Murray, jeez, Bob Murray is even more open to moving one of those bigger guys. I think this is the most open he's been to moving one of those bigger names in a long time. I just don't see it happening at the deadline because of the better trade ideas or the better the better packages you'll get at the uh, at the draft than compared to the deadline. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that, man. Uh, it's it'll be interesting to see what he does, but Bob's never been a deadline guy like you said. He's He's always gotten well, he, the, the little addition here and there, but it's always been an He's a deadline thing. guy in the sense that he makes a lot of trades at the deadlines. I think he, him and, and uh, or the Ducks and Arizona are the two top teams for making deals at the deadline. Just for the Ducks, it's never anything big. Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of little moves, little acquisitions. You know, The biggest name I remember them picking up in, in a while was Patrick Eves and, uh, and what was it? Uh, Wisniewski were the two big names big names if you want to call the big names that the Ducks picked up in a while and they really don't go out and make the big moves they just make a couple you know two three four minor additions every trade deadline that don't really matter AHL trades obviously count for that as well which the Ducks always tend to make two or three of those at the trade deadline anyway so if we see anything I, I, I think we see that I would love to see them make a couple big moves and really start to make some changes here, but I, I just can't see it happening. We'll have to see what that happens come Monday. Let's get to our questions from the fans. Um, co-host of the show, Jason, is the first one on Twitter. Go figure. Well, of course. Do you guys think Brian Hayward likes Mike Smith's style of goaltending? I'm assuming he's referring to something that happened during the show or during the game in broadcast. I don't remember anything. Do you remember anything about him commenting on his uh, goaltending style? I don't know. Probably he was probably saying Mike Smith is just making stupid decisions behind the net. Oh yeah, as a puck. I don't think Hayward likes uh, puck handling goaltenders, especially guys who venture out of their crease. Oh me either. And, Stay in your yeah. net. That's what I pay you for. Yeah. So I would I would assume he was probably saying something negative in that sense. I don't like Mike Smith as a goaltender anyway. I mean I like him as a guy and as a person, and I think he is is was valuable at one point, especially when he was in Arizona. I think he was one of the most underrated goaltenders in the league for what he was doing on how how bad of a team they had for for i think you know five six seven year stretch in arizona he's too but, crazy in his net man yeah he's just he's too crazy and, and i think he's getting to the age where he can't really make up for those mistakes anymore he's not as quick as he used to be and uh this the whole calgary experiment has been just a nightmare for him it hasn't been a, a good go he's pretty much lost the crease to david riddich anyway so uh um, yeah no he definitely has yeah, I'm I'm not a huge Mike Smith guy. So Brett says the Ducks have played a pretty even game against the top team, meaning tonight against Calgary, without their top player in Getzloff. Is Jason right about this team having talent, just needing to get past the Carlisle stage and getting what motivated is, again? What is with all these these questions trying to prove Jason right? Is he just going on different accounts? Trying. He's to... got he's, he's got he's got Brett's account. God damn, he's just trying to. Uh, this well, is where you and I will disagree, man, because I know that you don't Jason think Redder they're playing what, a different sorry? style. 
he's Jason Wright about them playing a different style. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, you know, I, I think they've shed a couple things that Randy Carla was doing, but I don't think they're necessarily different. I think every team gets a slight boost after their coach is fired and things look a little bit different. You, you could tell from the, just the comments of the players before he got fired in some of the athletic articles and after when they got interviewed, they just seemed so much more happy and more confident that he was gone, that they could just play their way. And the way Randy Carla seems to coach is he, he tells you a way to play and you have to play it that way. And I think that was a huge weight taken off the players' shoulders where I think, you know, the assistant coaches, especially Bob Murray, said, just go out there and play play your style of game. Just play your style of hockey. I don't think they set in any system specifically. I think they just took away a couple things that weren't working and the Ducks are just trying to play their style of hockey the way they know how to play. And I don't think too much has honestly changed where you can say it was a big, significant uh change in system that Bob Murray has brought to this team. I just think it's a big confidence boost for this team. It helped if you unmuted your mic. <laughs> you got to unmute your mic. No, I was saying, I say yawn. Sorry. No, I was saying that I really feel that's the second show I've done that on. Jesus. No, I really feel that, uh, that the way that they're playing more defensively by guarding the house and not playing more of that one-on-one, they're playing more, of a zone defense and collapsing in on the goaltenders. You know, the players have talked about that, and the broadcast makes points about that. And you watch them, they don't get caught so often, right? The, the, remember how many how bad they were bleeding shots on the slot, the low slot, the high slot? Yeah. just but hasn't been just the laziness. same. That's just pure laziness. Maybe, the, the maybe. lack of coverage, the just missed awareness. When we, I mean, we, we've got on Camp Fowler a lot about this, but the guys just weren't covering anybody and, and i don't think that's necessary I mean, we looked at that and said how is this just a systems issue when there's just no compete we even argued that it was the players just not competing i mean at that point if you're not covering a guy on the ice that is not as much of a systems issue as it is just a player issue it just you're just missing assignments you're just not paying attention to what's going on on the ice and i think moving randy carla out has just like i said taken a weight off a lot of these guys shoulders and they're playing hockey the way they played last year the way they've been taught to play as corny as it sounds it's just they're not making those little stupid mistakes that really had nothing to do with the system that randy carla had in place they were just fed up with losing at that point and the confidence just wasn't there the compete level wasn't there as much as the players wanted to try and say they were competing at the same level it was clear to see that they weren't and i'm not going to say there it's been no change whatsoever but I, I'm not going to say that there's been a significant change. You got Lindy and Manson change. back together. That's a big deal. Yeah, but I, I'm not going to say there's a significant change in the system that the Ducks have been playing. I think you've just taken Randy Carlisle out. The, the assistant coaches, I don't think they've, they've come in and, and all of a sudden established a complete new system that the Ducks have bought into. There's been some slight changes here or there, but I think it's more of a confidence thing to, than anything. I just think with Randy Carlisle not there, the players just feel like things can only get better. I mean, maybe. I still feel like they play a little better. I think they they actually forecheck. Sure. If you want to relate that to just, you know, having a weight off their shoulder, fine. But I think they're playing much better. They The defensive side of things, I've noticed a big difference. For me, it's been that's that's been the biggest difference on the team. 
Yeah, and, and no, you can definitely see it. You can definitely see things are getting better. But when I look at floor checking and I look at defensive coverage and just not missing assignments, that all kind of comes down to the fact that you're not losing anymore. You don't have this guy behind the bench. You got a little bit more confidence, and things are just starting to go your way. I mean, you look at the comments from these guys. Like I already said, they were just completely down in the dumps. They had no idea why they were losing. They couldn't get just get their head wrapped around the fact that they – the way they thought this season was going to go just wasn't happening. Nobody understood why they had lost 19 of their last 21 games. It was just complete disarray in the locker room, and something needed to change. They finally got so, rid of him. So, Ed, Jason asks, do you finally see the difference, the system, or are you just not buying it? Uh, there's a difference in the way they're playing, but there's no. I don't think there's a new system in place. I'm not going to say that Bob Murray or Wilford or Morrison have come in and – brought a new system to the table that the Ducks are playing. I think they've just stripped down what Randy Carla was doing and just told the players to go out and play and have a little bit more confidence and go out and, and maybe they've made a couple of adjustments here or there and there's some slight, you know, signs of that, like you said. Just the, the, the increased forward check, a little more pressure on the play, a little bit more organized in their own zone. But I don't want to come out here and say that Bob Murray has brought a new style to the Ducks and that's why they're <laughs> winning. I just think they have a little bit more confidence and, and they're just relieved that Randy Carl isn't there anymore. And I know it, it's not normally the, the analysis I give where I, I don't really like to give credit usually to just the confidence or compete level. I usually would, I would love to say that they brought in a new system. That's why they're playing better. I just, I just haven't seen it. I just haven't seen enough to say that it's a new system and not just the players happy that Randy Carl is gone and just a little bit more motivated to play better. All right, so Andrew Burla says, when, oh, when, oh, when will the Ducks make the play for the next generation franchise forward? And then he puts in parentheses, and no, we don't have that elite talent up and coming in the system. Yeah. So he agrees uh, with us. So when do they make a play year. for that? How do you replace Ryan Getzloff? You just said that's this year, or is it Lafreniere next year? You've got three seasons to try and make that play before you're getting to the point where they're not going to make a big enough impact with the core you have f for the future for this team. You've got to win while John Gibson is 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. So you've got a five-year window there before you know where you have a really solid chance of winning games. Same goes for the defensive core on this blue line. You know, you look at the Hampus Lindholm and Brandon Montour, the younger side, but then Cam Fowler and Josh Manson are a little bit older, and you've got to try and win before they get you know to 32, 33, 34. So... You bring in uh, Jack Hughes this year, Alexis Lafreniere, or Quentin Byfield next year, or whoever for the the drafts after that. Not every guy can step into the NHL right away okay. and be an elite player. So you got to give them at least a year or two to really become that elite player that is going to drive you to a Stanley Cup. So if the Ducks don't get it this year, let's say they get Alexis Lafreniere next year, give him two years to really establish himself in the game. That's two years older on the core that you have on this roster. If you wait another year after that to that draft, you have to wait two more years after you draft whoever in the top part of that draft to wait. So and, let's and let's get to Dave's time. question because Dave has one that you're going to want to answer right here. This ties all in with Andrew's question. So Dave says this one's for Eddie because he's the smartest. How dare you, Dave? Um, <laughs> he says with the Senators embracing the tank more than anyone else, the Ducks playing better recently. And unless a miracle happens with the lottery balls, the Ducks are currently in position for sixth pick in the draft. Is there a draft-eligible player at 5, 6, or 7 that you would like to see the Ducks draft? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think the top seven, top six or seven this year are going to be very good players. For me, it's um, Cousins. It, that's yeah, who I would it, see the Ducks it, pick And again, it, it, it all depends, um, you know, what positional need is at this point. And, and there's a chance that some of these guys slip because at the top end of the draft, there's really not any elite defenseman this year. There's no Rasmus Dallin. There's you know Kale McCarr. There's no guys like that that you could say are really worthy of being a top three pick at this point. Um, player teams will draft the best guy available, but if you're sitting four, five, six, seven, maybe you, if you really need a defenseman, you don't need a center, you don't need a winger. You know, if you're, I, I don't want to say Colorado because you know they're going to get the first overall pick likely, but if you were in, let's say Colorado goes four, five, or six instead of going number one, they could look at Bowen Byram or you know, uh, I'm trying to remember the other defenseman who's up there, uh, but or Philip Broberg or whoever, and go for a defenseman instead. You know, maybe draft him a little bit higher than he should get drafted than Dylan Cousins or Kirby Dak or Trevor Zegras drop down to you know five or six or seven or wherever the Ducks get. So there's there's definitely some really good players. I think this year is it the best year compared to last year for the Ducks to be bad because there's a lot of centers in the top end of this draft when you look at Jack Hughes and, like I said, Zegras and Dak and, and Cousins, guys that project to be top-line centers in this league. If I had to pick one, if Dylan Cousins is available at six, you take Dylan Cousins at six. Oh, he's Kirby already got Dak. size. He's 6'3". He doesn't have the weight on him yet, but he's a dominant force he's on quick the quick, too. Mm-hmm. He's really, really quick for a guy who's that big. And that's the, the advantage I think you take over a guy like Kirby Dock is, you know, Dylan Cousins is an exceptional playmaker. I think Kirby Dock is, is probably a better playmaker than Cousins. But, you know, the, the goal scoring ability that Cousins has is better than Dock. And, and the speed that, that uh, Cousins can generate is a lot better than Dock as well. And the same goes for Trevor Zegres. So, and the problem with Zegres is he's going to be going to the NCAA. And the development time for those guys is a little bit longer, and I think past the time the Ducks are willing to wait for to be competitive again. So if Cousins is available at four, five, or six, I doubt he will be. But if he is, you got to take him there. Yeah, I think he's going to be a good player in the NHL for sure. Uh, another question here is um, Dave says, "What do you think is wrong with with Ricard Raquel? Interesting. He hasn't been producing in in just in production sense. Yeah, he said that Corey Perry looks better than Ricard Raquel right now." He does. Yeah, he does. He does. I, honestly, I couldn't pinpoint one thing to say what's wrong with Ricardo Kell this year because there's been a lot of things wrong with the entire team this year. I think the only guys who've really taken a step forward were Andre Kasher when he was in the lineup. Nick Ritchie has taken a step forward this year. Um, and that would probably be pretty much it. I don't think a lot of guys have taken any significant steps forward this year. And Ricardo Kell has probably been one of the guys who's taken the biggest steps backwards. Him and Cam Fowler and Josh Manson have just not been that great or been really good at all this year so maybe it's just a one-off i hope that ricard raquel can come out next year and play better i don't want to write it off as as him just this is the type of player he's always going to be i mean this is a guy who had back-to-back 30 goal seasons yeah you're allowed uh, to have a down year and the whole team had a down year i I feel like it's just the whole team can't score down year for ricard raquel the whole team in general just can't score this year and when you're a guy who is generally the the leading goal scorer on this team that's going to affect you no matter what you know, that's just going to be a problem. And we've already talked about how Ricard Raquel just isn't a guy who can generate offense on his own. He's not play, he's not a, a play driver. You know, he, he needs a guy who can drive play with him. Generally, that's Ryan Getzlaff. So you can't sit here and say that, you know, Ricard Raquel is going to be the guy that's always going to be good. He's not going to be a Connor McDavid where if your team's bad, he's still going to put up 100 points. You need to put him with a guy 
that is going to get him the puck and that's playing well. And nobody has been playing well enough this year that they've been able to really benefit what Ricardo Cal can bring to the to this hockey team. Well, let's get to another one here. And I don't know anything about this. So if you could sum this up in a, in a short order because we're running almost over an hour here. Joseph Holmes says, can you please comment on the latest Patriots scandal? <laughs> Do you know anything about Patriots the Patriots scandal? scandal? I know. I think Robert Kraft, uh, their owner, is involved in some <laughs> sexual favor or something or other. Something. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds it's a, like it's uh, a funny question. I don't really know always, much about you know, it. I think it's like, that never happens in the NHL. You got like the whole Donald Sterling thing in the NBA uh, with like the I think it was racist remarks from him oh, or just him God. just being like an yeah, old man, old man oh, at clouds. Type yeah, but guy. he was saying horrible stuff. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, I, I remember that. But I was in the NBA, and you get yeah, NBA owners. NBA owners in general are just kind of crazy. Uh, and, and the NFL is kind of an interesting spot because I don't believe you can be an organization who owns a team in the NFL. You actually have to be just a really rich guy, and you can only be you have to be a just a single owner. You can't be like uh, Rogers owning the Leafs, or you know what I mean. You can't be a an uh, organization like Molson family owns the the Montreal Canadiens, right? So. Yeah, that, was, that guy, I think, is just uh, he's a little bit too rich and a little bit too old, and he uh, went down <laughs> maybe a dark path. I don't know enough about it. But <laughs> I don't know either, funny. man. You, yeah, you he never is. see that in, uh, in the NHL. You never see that. From the, the, the worst you see is Eugene Melnick just being an idiot and running his franchise into the ground. Well, we got a second part of that question. He goes, can you please talk me off the ledge in regards to forking over the money for Silverberg? We kind of covered that already, but... I mean, he, he's he, worth the money. Yeah, he, I guess if you want me to talk about the ledge, he's worth the money. He's a good player. He's worth 5.25. He's just he's going to be an effective player for the Ducks for the next three or four seasons. But it's just not the move they should make at this time. It, right. it, it's just, you know, he'll be an effective player, but the Ducks aren't going to be able to utilize that to, to the fullest extent because they're not going to be a Stanley Cup contender. So it's not going to benefit them as much as it would if they had him in four years at the same age he is now. You know, if he goes to a contender right now, then you know the value he's going to add to that team is is exponential compared to what he's going to add to a poor and I'm Ducks team. And Josh Nash at the end of this on uh, Facebook asks everybody here, you and I, Jason's not here, but uh, if Daniel Sprong is being scratched in order to be traded, do you think that's going to be what's going to happen here on Monday? I, I think with him missing the last three games, uh, the fact that Silverberg has resigned, you've got Andre Kasha on that right side, you've got Troy Terry hopefully next year. Um, I would assume that Daniel Sprung is either traded now or traded at the draft. I, you might as well trade him now anyway if you want the guy to go play. Um, I would have loved to keep him, obviously trade Silverberg. You know, I, I know Daniel Sprung is a one-dimensional player. He's brought in for goal scoring. You know, He's always going to be suspect in his own zone. But he's been one of the better players for the Ducks since he's been acquired and brought over to this team. So, unfortunately, it looks like he's on his way out. I mean, the fact when anytime you get healthy scratch for three games in a row, they can't really send him down. That doesn't point uh, in the right direction. You look at what Marcus Pedersen's doing in in uh, Pittsburgh. He's becoming a reliable bottom pairing defenseman for them. Yep. And now you've got the Ducks in a tough spot where they're rolling out Delzato and Jacob oh, Magnet. Yeah, I never thought right. I would have said this, and and I still think. I still think Daniel Sprong is the better player, but the Ducks could really use Marcus Pedersen right now. Mm-hmm. And when you look at you know the the mistakes that Jacob Magnus has made, not just in this game, but just no, in general, just in general. He hasn't really worked out that well. And Delzato just hasn't been good. And 
Marcus Patterson, even while he was here, he wasn't great, but he was reliable. And that's what he's been in Pittsburgh. He's been reliable. He's obviously benefited from playing in a lot better system and, and a lot better team offensively where he's been putting up more points. But uh, right now, with Sprong not even playing, I would rather have Marcus Pedersen in this lineup over you know Daniel Sprong not being in the lineup. So it's tough, and I, and I think he gets traded and the Ducks end up bringing in another misfit, if you want to call it that, or, or an AHL guy, and it's not that whole story is going to kind of flip on its head. Yeah, they're going to say that Pittsburgh won the deal when Sprong, when he was playing while, was actually on a really high pace for goals. But the if last... they trade him, Pittsburgh did win the deal, right? So Yeah. At the, la- the last question then I goes to Tom on, on Instagram. He says, what is the best realistic trade the Ducks could make before the deadline? So this is after the, the news of Silverberg coming out. What's the most realistic trade... We could see our team make here before Tuesday or before Monday. Before the news came out that Puliyarvi in Edmonton was going to be pretty much done for the entire season, I feel so bad for that guy in general because you have to be sent down to the AHL, I think, before a certain time coming up in the next few days to be eligible for playoffs. Mm-hmm. You have to be down in the AHL at that time. Um, he's injured right now, so he can't be sent down to the AHL. And the Oilers just seem to have no intent on, on utilizing him correctly. And he might be shut down for the entire year. But even if he's not, now he's going to come back and play with the Oilers. And they're not going to use him correctly. And he can't even go down to a good Bakersfield team and play in the AHL. So I would have said before, any deal that involves bringing him over to this team and and kind of using him in, in the right way and, and maybe him coming somewhat close to what people expected of him as a, as a number three overall pick or a number four, I think, overall pick for the Oilers. But now I think the best-case scenario you get is you either move Adam Henrique for a first-round pick and a prospect or you move one of those blue liners and specifically Cam Fowler or Josh Manson. I think that's the best-case scenario. I don't know what the return's going to be for a Cam Fowler. I really have no idea what, you know, obviously it probably starts with the first-round pick. And It'd be a, a lot. Prospect. But, Cammy's uh, got a know, big name around the league. I think that he'd be worth yeah. a lot. And I think at this point, Josh Manson, just I wouldn't touch moving him because you're probably not going to get as much as you want for him. No, so, he's playing like, much better with Lindholm again. So it's nice to have exactly. him back together. Yeah. yeah, so unless you get the, the God deal for Cam Fowler, where it's just you know an A, an a prospect and a first-round pick and, and possibly more, or you can move Adam Henrique for you know a, a decent prospect and a first-round pick, I think that's the best-case scenario for the Ducks at this point. All right, well, that's it. That's the show for us tonight, everybody. Eddie, unless you got anything else, I was going to talk about our watch party um, coming up here yeah. on March 23rd against the Los Angeles Kings. It's going to be held at Craftsman, um, right over here. It's a Craftsman restaurant. It's called Craftsman Restaurant. It's over here. They got pizza. They got burgers. They got really good beer. They got craft beer. They got regular beer. They got anything you could possibly want to eat or drink. Um, all really, really uh, well-priced, and it's going to be on March 23rd, um, I'm working out something with the the uh, the general manager there, where we're going to get a special deal and a couple items off the menu for fans who are coming in to watch the game. So that's over here in Anaheim, off Imperial and La Palma, in the same parking lot as Cinema City Movie Theaters. But uh, looking to do that here, March 23rd against the Kings will be the the end of the season uh, podcast watch party, unless God forbid the Ducks make the playoffs. Yeah. We'll probably do one then, but that'll be fun. So. Ugh. Winning is fun, so if they don't expect the playoffs, I'm still going to have fun. I'd rather them lose and get a high pick, but 
winning is fun. It sucks. It sucks to say I don't want my team to win. But well, Abrection <laughs> says for question for the watch parties: Do we root for the Ducks to win or do we root for the tank? Uh, we always root to beat the Kings, man. I always feel like you have to root to beat the Kings. I, but at that point, the Ducks and Kings are probably going to be near the bottom of the Pacific, you would think. That game could be crucial to the to finishing lower than whoever in the standings. It would depend. I, I think mean, the Kings point. are rumored to be trading their, their goaltender. So we'll and, see. They get rid of quick. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of trade rumors rolling around Anaheim. There right always is rumors, and then a lot of them don't come out come out and come out to be. But... Uh, Shout out to CoolHockey.com, by the way. I know we uh, we talk about them every day, and that's because they sponsor our show and give away a jersey for Forever Mighty Three Stars. Very kind of them to do that, enable us to do that. They sponsor our show in that way. All you have to do to participate is hop onto Twitter. Eddie throws up uh, basically a question, or three questions, uh, sometimes four if you're lucky. And uh, you have to answer those. You get points. You go up about 45 minutes prior to the game before puck drop. You answer those, we tally them up at the end of the month. The leader gets a free jersey, and they're customized jerseys. They're amazing jerseys. They're legit. They're yeah. uh, you can and they're pick... finally in stock. That's yeah, <laughs> you can get <laughs> so one of these. Finally, ship some of those out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's great. So we we're doing that. Uh, I, updating the standings probably after tomorrow's game for February. It's probably a little bit late if you haven't entered it all to get in and try and win for February and, and try and get uh, and climb up the standings unless you got perfect night after night after night. But we'll be doing, I think the last one will be in March because there's not a lot of games in April. So if you haven't got in all year, make sure to get in for March because that's likely the last one of the season. And then we usually have a random jersey giveaway sometime throughout the summer. Um, and speaking of giveaways too, we still do have, if you're wondering about the Brandon Montour signed picture, we are still giving that away on our Twitch stream. Um, it was supposed to be on our stream, I think, a week ago, but uh, hadn't received it yet in the mail. Now that I'm on the road, of course, it shows up. So it's at my apartment <laughs> back in, in Sudbury. So when I get back on Sunday, we'll have that. And since me and Jason are doing a live stream for the trade deadline on Monday, we'll just give it away on the stream uh, on Monday. So if you still want a chance to enter that and you're listening to this before Monday, head over to twitch.tv slash forevermighty. Just give us a follow there. Come check out the uh, the live stream on Monday for the trade deadline, and we'll be giving that uh, signed Montour picture away to one of our followers. Yeah, that always helps us out too. If you go give us a follow on our Twitch stream, that's great. That helps us. We're going to be doing more with that. I know we say we're going to keep doing more. Eddie's on the road, and once <laughs> he gets back, we'll, do, uh, we'll play some video games with people. We're going to stream more on there. Uh, when Ducks News comes out, and like like Eddie just said, that he and Jason are doing a live stream for the trade deadline. So be a, be on the lookout for that on social media. We'll tell you all about it. But um, that's it. Everyone have a great night, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Eddie and Jay are running the show tomorrow against Edmonton. So I'll talk to you guys later.